Welcome to the Hyper Guy Motivational Podcast. I'm so lucky today because I have two wonderful people on. I have a co-host, Miss Elon Carter. She is a co-host of Tempting Conversations, and I had her on a previous podcast. She has an amazing story, so you can listen to her on other podcasts, but she's joining us today because she is a great intellectual, and, uh, and I love having her on, on my show. And Carlos Becerra is my guest today. He is the uh, CEO and founder of Baseri Educational Consulting. He establishes educational curriculum and he has a tutoring company. He provides personalized tutoring dedicated to helping students succeed. Uh, he teaches leadership. He's in educational tech and curriculum design. He mentors, tutors, and prepares leaders how to be leaders and success uh, and be successful academically. And is there anything else, Carlos? Is there, I know there's a lot more. You have a BA from uh, the University of Chicago, and you're a doctoral candidate at USC. I can keep going on, my friend. Martina, I, I appreciate you having on, uh, having me on here, and, and Elon, it's it's so great to to get the opportunity to sort of connect with both of you and and just talk through. I think that's plenty, <laughs> plenty for. We're excited because this is information that we don't know that we need help with, especially if you have kids, right? Which I do. I have one that I've got to get there. So um, I, I wish I would have met you years ago, but I'm happy to have you now. <laughs> it's it's great to be here. My 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 two are are two and four, so we're we have some we have some time before I, I get to switch uh, switch seats. Yeah, yeah I, and Carlos, I was talking to you earlier, and I one of the things that you brought up, what I really, really like that you're doing now is it's not just it's teen, you started out with teenagers, and now you're doing it preparing people for college um, after they completed high school, but now you're also doing adults and non-traditional learners because you have so many people now that want to go back to school, and so you kind of guide them through that process, all the barriers and things to getting into college and, and, and being new learners, what are those kind of barriers, so... I, I really think that's just amazing that there's someone that's doing that in this space. It, yeah, it, it definitely, it, it's interesting because once you start looking at test preparation and admissions as more than just beating the test or just gaming the system and you start to really focus on, on the educational component, um, it makes sense to start earlier, right? You don't want to just say, hey, you're 16, you need to take this test by 17, let me teach you how to beat it. Because the educational value long-term is, is very limited, right? And, and what you're teaching that student is, it's just not the type of skills that you'll need later in life. So we make a, a significant effort to try to start with our students earlier. And we teach kids as, as early as 10 and 11 um, and work with, you know, all the way up through adults, graduate school, uh, and just, but focusing on teaching them the material, talking about the concepts, understanding the soft skills that are necessary to succeed on exams, but in other situations as well, as opposed to just gaming the system. Because I feel like that's the, what you hear in the news and the, and the bad rep that, that test prep gets. And yes, some people do that, but that's just not something we do within sort of our boutique educational ecosystem. And Carlos, where were you born and raised? What got you into this, I guess? Wow. So, so I think, um, so I come from a family of educators. Um, both my, my parents were uh, professors and actually grandparents and great-grandparents. Uh, I have a pretty strong uh, teacher um, background. Um, I was born in actually in Amarillo, Texas, 
Uh, my mom was getting her doctorate at UT Austin and my dad was teaching at a nearby college, but both my parents are from Columbia and uh, I actually grew up, uh, half, like half of my childhood was in, in Bogota and Cartagena in Colombia and coming, you know, here my parents' education was everything. And so uh, I was born in Texas. We made our way to uh, Youngstown, Ohio for uh, my dad to teach uh, at, at uh, for the Youngstown Penguins. Um, and which is where my, my sister was born and where, you know, most of our childhood was spent before I came to Chicago. And what was, what was school like for you growing up? It was interesting. So, so initially um, when I remember still for like elementary school, the challenge of, of being bilingual and the, the sort of school. And then when I would go home, it would be sort of round two. Um, my mom was very adamant about making sure that every night I read in Spanish and that I was practicing, you know, writing and et cetera. And since both of my parents were Spanish professors, um, that was a fairly, fairly intense uh, uh, upbringing. But I'm so grateful for it now because it allows me to to really reach across um, different schooling systems. And so school was challenging from that uh, capacity and also, you know, fitting in. When you're when you're sort of half of the time not uh, at home and you know with my family in Colombia was was a little bit challenging but it was it was great it was it was really a a fun uh, a fun fun childhood very suburban childhood um, on that end. And what was it like for you in terms of did you find was school fun for you I mean did you enjoy school was it a struggle for you did you know what you wanted to do later when you grew up? So. Okay, so I, I think from a fun capacity, yes. I mean, I, I that was a geek. I mean, and that went from not only the academic sense, I also really love music. Um, so that was something that uh, was a big part of my life um, throughout middle school and high school. And so those two components, but I also really love sports. So I had I had sort of my my friendships and my education sort of centered around the activities that I was able to do. So it was a pretty jam packed schedule. But I was able to pursue a lot of it simply because geographically it made sense, right? Sometimes when you're doing travel sports or you're doing other things that you have to choose. And I was really fortunate not to have to choose between these different fashions. So I had a very like balanced and fun childhood. So I loved school, but I also got to balance it out with, uh, with other extracurriculars. What made you get into teaching, I guess? So part of my childhood was spent in my parents' classrooms. So I was, uh, some of the chores that I had would be, hey, I need you to add these numbers because this, this is the scores for a final exam. So can you add all these numbers and, and make this uh, spreadsheet for me or et cetera, right? Which I guess was helpful for my mathematical skills, but also sort of exposed me to the classroom and to sort of the process of learning the different steps um, during that. So it was that was fascinating. And then as I got older, I did a lot of tutoring and helping my peers. And I would usually be studying um, in Colombia. I was usually a grade or two ahead. So by the time I would come back and go to school here in the States, um, a lot of times I was, oh, I had seen this material, but I really enjoyed teaching my, my friends and, and helping them out as well. So teaching was something that was just a way for me to connect with my peers. Um, and yeah, and as I got older and went to college, 
it was something that continued to be a big part of my life. I started tutoring when I came to Chicago um, as a way to sort of support um, sort of my day-to-day -day expenses in college and try to sort of take that burden off of my parents. And, uh, and that's kind of where, where BEC started. And as soon as I graduated, I was like, why, why not? Why not? I was going to say, um, I think your parents... I give them kudos for doing that because I, I, when you first said, I love like teaching and this is something I want to do. I like school. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. You know, you don't hear young people say that right as a young person. But then when you said your parents had you in the classes and, and, you know, marking the papers and helping them, that is something as a child, when your parents put you in that position, I think probably helped a lot because it made you feel um, a part of them and important and give you a job and you don't realize what an impact when parents do small things like that at that age, it makes you feel you had some fulfillment. So maybe you go, oh, hey, you think that was one of the reasons why you grasped uh, and gravitated to wanting to keep doing that because of the, the, the situation that they put you in versus if you didn't have parents who were in that position, you had teachers that you didn't deal with and I think that's one of the reasons what's hard for kids. I know for my son, because um, my son came from England, even though English is his first language, English, British English, the uh, vocabulary is different. So when he, even though he was a young guy, you know, the teachers were like, he's not smart. He doesn't know what he's doing. But I'm like, the vocabulary is totally different, you know? <laughs> and, then, and then you got this brown kid saying he was in England. So um, it, I was just saying some of the things were parallel, but because he had teachers that weren't supportive, I think you having parents who are professors, you know, was it was a blessing that you probably realize now that brought yeah. you to where you are. Definitely, definitely. And, and I think that you're right. As, as, as a parent, that sort of what you do early on has such an impact on um not even like the path, but also just your frame of reference, right? I think that just understanding that that education could be more than just teaching only in a classroom, right? I think that that was the the valuable part. Like my dad also um, is an author, right? So understanding, hey, the stuff that you're teaching, the students that you're meeting uh, can be, you know, you can reach them in so many different manners, right? And I think that that exposure then allows us to sort of recreate, right? I really love business. That's something that was very interesting to me and the ability to be able to take education and business and combine it probably, yeah, goes back to those days of sitting in the classroom. Um, and probably, I don't know how many people will, will understand this reference, but uh, you know, the purple ink and like the non-collating printers, right? Where you actually had to sit and, and order all the pages and, you know, back in the day, right? <laughs> that, that type of, uh, those type of simple yeah. tasks, but you know that that quality time as well, right? That, wow. that allows you to 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 grow on on that end. So yeah, hundred. It, it gives you a broader perspective too. Like uh, you know, my son, he went to private school, always went to private schools, and I, his he loves music. And my husband wanted him to do sports. My husband played sports for at Yale. He was really good at sports, but my son was a little guy, right? So. I knew early on that wasn't his thing. And so I start putting him in other things because I said, look, if we lay the foundation now, then he'll have different things to choose from. Instead of most parents get caught up in, and it's more of, I realize now as an, an adult, as an 
a parent, an older parent, that our ego is a lot of what we want our kids to be. So it was trying to pull my husband out of, you know, he's just not that great at sports for him to get that in his head because that's what he was taught, right? And I grew up in the music industry. So I start putting him in that, but I put him in everything because my daughter has no interest in it. But what your parents did, introduce you to many things. He's actually a good writer. So I pushed him into writing and they kept saying in school, writing was a strong point. Well, now he actually is a good songwriter. And what I say to him, music, you know, there's a small percentage. It's like being an athlete. It's like being an actor. You can't rely on that. You've got to have a background. And if you want to be in that industry, I was modeled when I was young, but you know, by the time you hit 30, 35, it starts to fade away. So you better have some longevity, right? So that was one of the things I set up, like your parents, you better be able to produce, you know, and be like a Pharrell and a and, 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 uh, Dr. Dre, like be able to do things so you can be 60 years old because nobody wants to hear you singing and rapping at 50. <laughs> it's not cute. <laughs> I mean, so, sometimes, sometimes they do, but I mean, we have Diddy and some of these other ones trying to rap and, I, and, and then my kids go, you know, those were those are the old school days. I'm like, first of all, we start we were that parents, you know, we started that generation. They're like, whatever, it's corny. <laughs> it's but 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 focusing on skills, right? I, I think yeah. that's that's what I'm hearing is is sort of the the idea of, of skill sets, right? Writing right. um and and singing and understanding, hey, be as good as you can possibly be at that. And right. that discipline, those habits then can translate to other things or to fusions. Mm-hmm. Of that of that piece and and uh, yeah that's that's exactly a hundred percent what what you're talking about with with your son it's is when I look back right it's always hindsight is twenty twenty right in the moment right, right. we're like but I just want to go home cetera, the, but... the testing doesn't it set you up for testing because I think that part of the testing is not really how intelligent you are academically is it that's what I've heard and for some reason I don't remember having to take the test because I think I started doing well in school at a young age so I went back to school at 30 which I tell people it's harder because you don't it was something you said earlier when you do go back to school later and you have your kids you were like okay I want to go get my education I had to take take a statistics class and I literally was crying because I'm like I don't I wasn't a really strong math student anyway. My son got the writing skill from me and the math was my is my husband. And I would cry because I could not figure out I had to retake that class, end up getting good grade. But <laughs> I had to get tutors at 30 years old. Once I'm in a class with a whole bunch of youngsters and I'm asking the kids are tutoring me. Even though 30 is young, you still feel like an old person when you're in school with college kids. <laughs> <laughs> I've, uh, I've, I've had um, some opportunities to, to help um, some professionals who are like uh, applying for like licensing, right? And they might have some type of statistics or, or math exam. And, and you're right, you know, the distance from that education. I think even, you know, Martine thinking about being in a doctoral program, right? And you're all of a sudden having to write a 10 page paper with, you know, APA formatting and having to research again. And it's sort of these different skills that you just don't use on a day to day basis. Right. Like I, you know, one of my students, I remember being like, I can sell you a, you know, $4 million penthouse, but man, do I really need to, to worry about sort of this uh, standard deviation or this percentage, uh, you know, this compounding interest or whatever. So it, it, it is, um, it is interesting in terms of the organization that comes with it 
and even going back to the to the testing component, I, I would agree with you. I think that the the amount of intelligence that is required, um, and if we're talking, I mean, just to, to frame it a little bit, if we're talking about um, you know an ACT SAT, right? So it's a test you're taking when you're 16, 17, 18 years old. Um, even though this could apply, frankly, to to a lot of other different tests, um, organization, discipline, the the time to do it, right? This is this is something we've talked about, um, Martina and I, about how sometimes people will sit there and say, "Oh, this is about the materials that you have," and sometimes it's literally the time. If I need to go home, right, and take care of other responsibilities, and that affects how I prep. Right. Do you have the time to actually prep? Do you have the the time um, the timeline? Right. Like uh, I'm I'm losing my uh, my phrasing here. But anyway, like, do you have two months mm -hmm. to take that that test, or do you have to take it in three weeks? And I think that your results are going to significantly change. And so I think when we start to think about testing as it relates to these parameters you start to see how socioeconomic um, and sort of in general gate kept knowledge, right, can have a significant impact on that exam, which then can sort of cascade into other um, results because of it. So. Carlos, can you explain the gate, like you keep saying gatekeeper, can you explain what those gatekeeper, traditionally those gatekeeper things are? And how do they put together these tests in the first place? Gotcha. Um, okay. Well, well, gate, gatekeeping in general, just as a as a term, is sort of the the knowledge that you know, right? Like, if I were to say I really want to become um, a famous singer, right? There are certain things that certain people know, right? That are just certain groups of people know, and that's why you hire experts and professionals. And this can be for any, any field, right? But when it comes to testing, right? And you're saying this is a requirement for you going to college, all of a sudden it becomes abundantly clear, right? Who has access to these resources and who doesn't, right? I mean, you can go and quickly search any any news outlet and say, you know, test prep and you start to, to see the discrepancies that emerge. And so when it comes to sort of that gatekeeping mentality is, do you know what the, what's even on the test, right? Do you just have one pamphlet that your counselor gave you? Um, or do you have an entire course that's integrated into your curriculum as a class, right? Those are just examples of just differences among private schools that I've worked with, right? Not even, we're not even talking about public schools, right? So with, with that in mind, to, I guess, Martin, to take a step back and think about the test, right? So you have your ACT, your SAT, um, and you have other sort of derivatives, right? PSAT and plan and et cetera. But those two core ACT and SATs um, usually test the areas of grammar, math, uh, reading and science. Uh, there are optional essay components, but that, you know, post COVID has become less of a, less of a focus. Um, and then you, you know, kids can take them multiple times. They can super score, um, which essentially means you take the best subject score from each exam. Um, and each test that you take, right, is expensive. You know, it can be 40, 50, 60 bucks, right? And so now you're talking about not only one exam, but three, four or five exams that some students are taking um, in order to achieve one parameter of applying to, to college. So that sort of ACT, SAT start um, 
regardless of what the intentions were when when they started the test, has become sort of this other this other component. And um, and you know we have test optional movements now, which is supremely helpful. Uh, but still, I think there's a lot of work to be done. And what about like pre preparation as far as uh, getting counseling and, and, and you helping the kids? Like, what is the cost of that? Because it goes back to the means. Like my friend who was preparing her son, um, they, they finally got him in USC, went to Santa Monica, and they're the ones that guided me to do that with my son and then switch him over. But just even preparing they had him take the test twice, but they had these classes that cost like $2,000 a course just to prepare him to get him there. You know, what about the kids that don't have the means and the system set up to me that way, even with my son going to school, my son being a boy is opposite experience of what I'm having with my daughter, which my daughter is very ambiguous looking anyway. And because of that, her experience, how she's been treated in school and not to bring up the, the racial part of it, but it's a really a, a major factor. Even if you have the means for your kids to go to private school, it becomes a major factor to try to the road you have, the plan, the money you put in. They try to put your kid on this road. So after you spent a few hundred thousand dollars from kindergarten and private school, you don't get there, you know, where you're trying to achieve. Um, so is, can you explain the factor of the uh, disproportionate uh, uh, economic part of why that they don't get to do the test, why that they don't uh, pass the test also? I think economic is part of it from what I understand. Now, I, I, my son, my daughter is about to take it, I'm sure, in a couple of years, and I need to know what to prepare her because she is my academic kid. My son is more of the creative kid, right? So he's planning to go to music school at USC, which he's going to be able to pass those tests right now. Hmm. Like by, certain bypass having to go through that process. Right. But I need to know what to do to prepare her for getting on that road. Yeah, it's a really complicated. I'm like, uh, okay, so I want to know about the the economic part of it. Right, then right, I wanted to sure. know about the social and the racial bias, what, your experience, and and how much it costs in preparing, and what can we do to achieve and make it easier. Put it in simple terms for me. <laughs> so, so I, I, you know, I I think that. So I think that when we're when we're thinking of how do we make testing fair, right? And 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 again, we're we're ignoring the sort of test optional piece for a second, which I think we should definitely chat about because then, you know, the focus becomes the admissions process and essay writing and et cetera, which is a whole other, whole other stage. But, but when you're looking at, at the testing component, I think that first of all, the early exposure to these exams um, is key, right? It, they become this, this, uh, this piece that you're like, okay, I'm going to definitely uh, take the ACT or I'm going to definitely take the SAT depending on what school I go to, right? Mm -hmm. What my counselor tells me, which already sometimes can be a disadvantage. And to sort of give you a couple differences is when it comes to, to SAT, right? You're looking at a test that has about time and a half compared to ACT for certain sections, right? So for example, if you're a slower reader, um, SAT might have more time per passage than ACT does, right? In exchange for a, maybe a slightly more difficult reading level. And so you have these differences between tests that when you're exposed to them earlier on, even if you're not prepping yet, 
um, it allows to alleviate a little bit of that stress of the format. And also just the, the whole idea of giving yourself that, that runway. That was what I was thinking about earlier. The, the runway to be able to prep so it doesn't up the pressure. Because one of the, the other components is the pressure of getting the score you need, right? Because you go and you take this test and you walk away on a Saturday or a Sunday and then you wait two and a half weeks and then you get a number. And if that number isn't what you need, now you start the process again, right? And if I'm a teenager, actually anybody, period, forget about teenager, right? I'm taking this exam, the stress and, and the pressure that comes from maybe that second exam as well, saying, okay, I did really well in grammar, but now I need to really up my math performance. Just, it, it sets all, and, and we're forgetting about, you know, school, right? And I need to write research papers and pass exams. And so the timing of when you prep as well. So I think that's why it's important to do more planning early on and then, right, then focus on the actual material and the format and et cetera. And I think that if we add a, a socioeconomic or a racial lens to it, I, I think that it gets more difficult because it's when you're introduced to it, right? Let's, let's not even get into the different factors, the prior knowledge, um, you know, motivationally, do I have role models in my community that that are teaching me or is everybody who's teaching me that they don't look like me, right? Because that that by itself from an instructional theory standpoint is, is just very, that's that's a whole other complex level of, of variables, right? So if we ignore that and we focus on simply the exposure to the information, right? And understanding what's even coming, I think that that type of preparation can even the skills a little bit, right? Because it allows students and families to then say, okay, I know what's coming. Right. And not just my junior year, my sophomore year, my freshman year. I understand what's coming. I understand it's one piece of the puzzle. And especially post COVID, it's a smaller piece of the puzzle. And the pressure is there, but it's not as great. When do I prepare for this? My kid's a big football player. I can't do it during the fall. I need to do it during the winter and spring of my junior year. Or junior year is horrible at my school. So therefore, I need to prepare my sophomore, end of my sophomore year. And it's okay because my student is in a more advanced math course. So right. they're prepared to take this exam because now, you know, with kids taking calculus their junior year or sophomore year or whatever, sometimes waiting longer to the traditional second semester of junior year can actually be a disservice because you've forgotten, right? To go back to our conversation right. of statistics, right. you know, when you're 30, you might be like, I'm taking calculus my junior year, but I need to remember my algebra one skills that I learned in seventh. Exactly. Grade. That's what's happened to me. Uh -huh. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. so I have a lot of students now who are actually testing earlier and I don't necessarily think, I mean, I love my students. They're great. I don't necessarily think that they're more intelligent than earlier generations of my students. They just are taking and are being exposed to academic material earlier on. Yes. So it makes sense for them to test. Um, I noticed that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and so that, that, I think that the, the access to that knowledge, I think is, is, is one component. I think there are a lot of different, you know, other components, like maybe schools should be incorporating this into their curriculum, just like computer science is a part of it. If you're going to make a test essential to get into a particular college, then maybe it should be part of that curriculum that's offered by your school. Again, the argument then goes, well, if test optional is the future, Right. You look at the UC system and just in general, most of the schools across the nation um, went test optional for COVID. Um, and now most of them said we're going to keep this in place. Then 
how else do you support students, right? And I still think access to information and education, not only of the student, but of the family, of the parent, of the household that you're spending the majority of the time with, so that us as parents, we're equipped to help our students and say, hey, you really need to start looking at this exam now, and you don't need to stress about the whole thing at this moment. And that, that, that sort of planning um, is key for, for success. So, sorry, that's a really long answer, but... No, no, no it helps a lot. Yeah. Carlos, what do you think, and, and I know, Elon, you probably have thought about because you and I have had this conversation too. It's a big money maker, obviously, for these big testing. Um, they've become massive corporations in some way. And I know they, they did a lot of pushback on, no, these tests are not racially biased. No, these tests don't hurt anybody if they're poorer. Um, do you see how do how do they even develop this? How did the SAT and all these how did, were these developed by universities? How did this whole testing thing become this of a this much of a big deal now? Um, do you have any idea of how this started and then why they gave this so much weight? You know, I think that to not put myself in in. Uh... A historically inaccurate uh, position. <laughs> what I what I would say is, is this: you know, when you're looking at national and international tests, you're looking for a way to evaluate students beyond their school's parameters, right? So you want that kid from from Missouri or Tennessee or California to be able to com be compared at some level. So I think that's that was sort of the the original intention of ACT and SAT. The problem with this is that you have to really consider that when you make something so competitive, right? When something's so instrumental to a process, and I think this can be applied to many things beyond testing, people are going to prepare the best way that they can, right? You wanna give your child every advantage possible. The problem with that is that some people can give much greater advantages to it than others. Yeah. And yeah. so we've seen it, right? I don't, I don't want to talk necessarily about specific things that have been in the news or in right. Netflix or anything like that, but we very well know what happens when you start to put that much emphasis on one component. So right. that, that I think is where we start. And what has happened now with, with test optional is that now you're putting focus on essays, you're putting focus on um, interviews, for example, or other or extracurriculars, right? You have kids who are like in 50 clubs now because I know that I need to have, you know, those 10 activities on my common application really shine and sometimes it's like hey maybe you should be in three clubs take care of your schoolwork get your gpa where it needs to be and be a leader in those three clubs and that you'll learn far more for your future that way than trying to play the game of admissions but that's a really complicated answer i mean like how do you how do you even so I, I i don't i to be frank with you i don't know but i know that from our company's standpoint and just in general um, you know, BC standpoint and a couple other um, initiatives and organizations that I'm working with, you know, where our focus is going to, is going outside of testing now and saying, hey, yeah. testing is one piece, but do you know how to shake someone's hand and look, well, I guess a little different now, but, you know, look someone in the eye and actually speak to them and public speaking and resume building and so you much know how stuff. To work. That, that stuff is just as valuable, right? And yeah. I think that we have put so much focus on what school we go to and Believe me, there there are great universities, but just Elon, to just just take a step back and just go back to the the racial lens that 
that we talked about earlier, me as, as you know, a, a Colombian, right? I, I look at as, as a Latino. I look at this as I go to different institutions, right? And I go from two-year institutions to four-year community colleges to um, higher schools. There are less of me at those oh, levels, yeah. right? Like diversity is something at higher education. That's a whole other conversation that sometimes we have to really think about what are we trying to achieve with these exams, with these processes? You want people to succeed, not only to get into the school, but to stay there to succeed. And then also to serve as role models for future generations to continue gaining access. Right. And I think that there is a lot of very interesting literature and um, evolution within the professional world of where college degrees come into play. But the, fa the fact of the matter is that I feel extremely blessed to have gone to the university that I did and my path could have been different had I gone to a different university. And I think that that, and, and that's for me coming from, from a, you know, a blessed home and I was able to yeah. study and et cetera, I couldn't afford tutoring, right? But that was, I was fortunate. I had two parents in the well, household. educated I was, parents too. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Educated parents played a big factor because one of the 100%. things, and just to add to what you're saying, <clears throat> and without getting too much into the whole political mm -hmm. part the racial thing, but it's my kids going to private school. One of the interesting thing is my daughter goes to a more prestigious school. My son's been in several different ones for different reasons, but I noticed that there is very few Hispanic people throughout this process. So if you get into the universities that you get into is like as a black person, we have to work much harder and you have to work much harder in the public schools because there's not as many Hispanic kids. And the only reason why I, in my opinion, and I've had this conversation with my daughter's school that they let the black kids in um, is because of sports. And so with my daughter's school, we would go to the assemblies, her particular school, and there was not one boy in the lower school for five years I was there. So they asked me to be on the board and I was like, oh, that's for a diversity thing. And I was like, oh, you don't want, my husband's like, you don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> so I had this conversation with them and I said, listen, they were like, we are so diverse. We have Indian, we have Asian, we have this, we have that. And I said, you know what? I did not see in the last five years, one black child boy in the lower school. You have maybe three black girls in the whole school which I don't think that's diverse. And saying you have Indian kids, whatever, you have all these different minorities, that doesn't represent America. America is more black, brown, and white. Like we don't see any Hispanic kids, there's no black kids, and I let them know. But I have to say with her particular school, not with my son's other schools, I noticed that they finally start letting them in. But my argument was, when you let them in in junior high and they said, oh, we have them coming in in junior high, high school, not even junior high, high school. And I said, you know what? We're in, we know what's going on. You want them to play your sports to get your numbers up. And if they don't start from kindergarten and you come from public school, the academic is so strong in this school, they can't handle it. So you've got to pass them. Then they don't have the opportunity to go to college. They can't get in because their grades are not strong enough. My daughter's speaking Mandarin and, and, and as a little kid. You know, she's on honors class, but she started in kindergarten. So if we don't get this, if they go, well, we want you to get used to seeing uh, people like us. I said, no, that's the, that's the problem. We don't need to see kids and get used to your world. We live in your world. You need to get, you, your kids need to see our kids 
at kindergarten. So you know it's a normal thing to go to school with minority kids and that don't think that you are in a different class than them because you're conditioning these kids when they come in. Oh, they're good at sports. Oh, they're good at that area in high school. It should start at kindergarten. And I said, so this is the problem. So you can't go and, and toot your horn and say, I've prepared them because these kids, it's not because they're not smart. They just don't have the opportunity to start young. Your academic is very strong. And I think all kids are capable of learning. Some learn later than others, and some are a little bit smarter, but most of them can learn if you start early on with the curriculum. So by the time it's opportunity for them to get the SATs and all the tests they need to take, they can't do it in high school. And that's what I've seen. And I just wanted to touch on that because I know you didn't want to get into that, but I've seen it personally, and I've told them about it. And even the schools, one of the reasons why we've had so many problems with my son is my husband's like 6'3", right? And I'm 5'9". <laughs> my son was like literally 4'11 when he started high school. I have pictures of him at 16 and he's like 5'3". He was tiny. He just was a little kid. And so we put him in football and just, you know, he was too small, really, by the time when he was in pop and he was little, it was fine. But when he got to junior high, those kids were big. And that's one of the reasons why he wasn't able to really keep up with everyone in sports. Um, but that was the that was the thing for which comes into the racial thing for for the diversity. It it becomes about the athletics for the school to make the athletics look good, but they don't focus on the academics. So the kids have the opportunity to go to USC like Martine and you can get into those good schools. You know, I just think that just you, what you're doing is amazing to be able to have kids that can have those programs. Like what programs can we get? Because one of the things my friend said to me, well, you know, um, I have a friend who moved overseas. Well, you know, the kids can just get on the computer and learn. It is so easy. And I said, did you under, do you ever think about the kids don't have computers in the inner cities and then they don't have internet. Who's going to pay for the internet for them to have the computers. So of course we want to help, but not to get into that, like I already did, but that thing that plays into factors of preparing for these tests, like all that, because they don't have the means, they don't have the resources. Well, and, and you know, I, I think that pulling everything that you're saying, it's uh, and actually a very common theme that we've been looking into um, recently is the difference between equality and equity. Right. So you're talking about it's interesting to give access and say as a school, right, and say I give every kid the same, right? They get the same books, the right. same opportunities, the same, et cetera. But the problem with that is that not every kid needs, right? They some need more, some need less. And it's it can yes. be based on racial factors, socioeconomic factors, geographical factors, right? There are other components that come into it. And so I think that when we're discussing equity, right, we need to talk about meeting kids where they're at. Right. What do they need to be motivated, to be successful, to be persistent? Right. Because they're all going to experience some type of adversity. Right. Mm -hmm. How do we make sure that they're able to confront that adversity, learn from that and go beyond it? And so I think right. that when you're talking about, you know, your son and, 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 and daughter and the school and et cetera, I think that's classic. Right. Like, hey, we're just giving them everything that they need. And it's like that's not what they need. You're giving everybody the same. And there's and there's a subtle but very powerful distinction um, between between those pieces, and I and that's something that I think from what I do that I'm I'm very fortunate. It's in some ways unintentional the way that it started, 
but I'm sort of in like the boutique world, right? So I do a lot of one-on-one, small group, et cetera, on that end. So it allows me to personalize what I provide, right? My test prep does not look the same for each kid or even each group or even each year, right? It depends on how the tests are evolving. It depends on what the students need. You know, during COVID, our curriculum was extremely different, obviously, than before and after, right? And so that, that, that component, it makes me even think of some of the students that we help I have one particular student um, who is, you know, currently at a very elite institution and the way the preparing in his case had a lot to do with motivation and organization and not in terms of ability. I mean, this kid is a genius, right? And uh, he could teach me a lot of stuff. Um, So, and he has, and I, and I think that the way that my prep in that case, my, my job was not to teach him new knowledge. It was to sort of facilitate his learning, to make sure that he had the resources that he needed and to serve as a sounding board when things got stressful. And they did. Right. And sometimes they had nothing to do. I mean, in his situation, it, it could have been, hey, I'm going through a, a green card process or I'm, you know, and those were far realer and more important things. But he still had to take the test in a month. So seeing how you could compromise and find the path for him to succeed, right? And that's an obviously an extreme example, right? But the fact of the matter is every student has all these different challenges and in different capacities. And so when we think of how do we help them, right? We have to consider that every kid needs different things. And I, that's what I hear you saying. It's, it's equity is not about, hey, here's what everybody else has because that's assuming that your background and the way that you see the world, right? Whether it's race, whether it's another lens, right? Mm-hmm. Is the same. And that is just yes. completely wrong. Um, and so, so yeah, that's a hundred percent, a hundred percent, you know, resonates. Yeah, for sure. It's just life experience. And it goes back to what you originally said, it's timing and preparing. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you don't have the right preparation to prepare for this you know, um, that you could probably pass, but you just don't have the preparation to do what it takes to get there, right? Um, mm-hmm. Or, or someone tell you, hey, you're stressing too much, right? You're stressing right. too much about this. You're good. Like, hey, listen, you got that score. That's fine. You getting an extra point or two is going to take three months of preparation. Instead, based on the way that this process works, you know what, you should go and, and pursue your love of music and, you know, get involved in a nonprofit that teaches music lessons for free. Because you know what, when it comes to applying and also, you know, your development as a person, let's, yeah. you know, just think of that for a second as well. That's probably more valuable or equally as valuable as doing this preparation for this extra point or two that you might or might not get. And yeah. so that type of, you know, opportunity cost, right? And that those conversations, sometimes it's essential. Uh, that that those happen far more than learning the quadratic formula um, a little bit better. Hey, um, Carlos. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. Like, like, what if like I went to a school where they don't even the the topic of, of college doesn't come up at all. So, um, growing up in a, in a pretty poor area uh, of Oakland, the the, the whole notion of of going to college was not even something you, you know what the option was like, Hey, are, what are you going to go out and do out of school? I mean, can you find a job that you can do something with your hands or join That's the right. military? Yeah. 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 Or join the military. So, because like you said, everybody else is struggling to live day to day, let alone thinking about college. What advice do you give to people that are in a situation where 
most of the kids don't go to college. Uh, and, and the people and, and the community are surrounded it, like Elon was saying, there's no role models in the community. Your role models are people that are some folks are doing good stuff and some folks are not do, are doing some stuff they shouldn't be doing. Um, mm -hmm. What do you do in those situations? That that's a great question. I'm, I'm thinking recently of of one of my students that that was in a situation like that where, I mean, to not get into excessive amount of detail, the communication provided to him and his particular school could it was very clearly geared towards a different result than college, right? Mm -hmm. It was uh, let me talk like the hip kids do, right? Mm -hmm. And you could see this this language that that was very clearly holding him to a different standard. And I've seen this across the board over, you know, I've been doing this now, I mean, almost two decades, right? And so with what ended up happening was that, I mean, I, in my case, I, I was like, hey, you know, U of I, right? Uh, University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign has something called the Illinois Promise, where they cover um, full tuition if your family makes a, a below a certain amount, as long as you fill out the FAFSA and you have a certain GPA. And this kid was a 4.0. Um, access to that information, right? That's, that's where I feel like empowering community leaders, community centers, places okay. where students can go. Sometimes school is not the place where you can get that, right? Not, not to get too academic about it, but we assume um, sometimes when we're preparing students for college, right, when we step beyond even test prep, when we're talking college in general, that college is the goal. And a lot of times that just, you know, it can be anything from from cultural to financial to et cetera. Sometimes that's something that doesn't fall within your scope. You say, I can't do that. I have to take care of my younger siblings. I have to help my mom. I have to, you know, et cetera. And so finding ways to say, hey, yeah, maybe it isn't in the house. Right, maybe it, it is that you're going to a local university, um, and they have these programs for commuters, right? Or hey, you should go to a junior college for a year or two, and here's your path to then apply to a four-year university. Right. I, I think that all of those that access to knowledge comes with empowering community centers, nonprofits with that information and that expertise to be able to provide students, and for them who are interacting with students on, you know, problems and, and issues that are far beyond academics, right? Sometimes it's, uh, am I going to be alive or not, right? Like there, there are other so much more important things that sometimes for us to go in as educators and say, hey, you should go to college. It's just, you say, well, that's, that's nice. That's great. I'll put that on. <laughs> You're right. Number, exactly. Number 15. Yeah. And so instead you empower the people who are helping them navigate these complicated situations um, in, in in neighborhoods and situations that you you have no business telling them what is important and what is not, right? Your right. job as an educator or as a facilitator is to make sure that they have access to the information, that you provide all the support that you can to the organizations that are helping you empower them. And sometimes that isn't the school. And that is okay, right? As long as you're taking that initiative. It's that's Martin. That's a that's a great point, right? And in this case, this student ended up going to U of I, right? Which, by the way, was not even in the in the cards initially, right? Initially, it was I should either go to community college, junior college, etc. Um, he wants to be a surgeon, and so and this and both his his parents are um, uh, first generation, 
right? The highest level I think that they achieved was either middle school or uh, maybe a few years of high school, right? So from their standpoint, they couldn't, you know, they were Trust. like, we want you to work hard. We want you to succeed. Yeah. But they didn't have the tools, right? And so they were like, hey, how do we get this kid to do this? And also, oh, by the way, he's a teenager. So there comes a whole other myriad of factors um, where it's like, hey, you know, don't get up at noon try to get up at 10, 10 a.m. And, and do some of your work, right? Like there's there's other, there's a bunch of other complications that come with that um, outside of academics and just saying, this is where we want you to end up. And and this kid, he just finished his first semester 4.0, right? Wow. At U of I. I mean, like, it, it's, it's awesome, right? And, and here you're also talking, and again, not to go too far in one direction, but here we're talking about someone who, he goes to med school, becomes a surgeon, right? And becomes a role model for, generations of students right this is how you uplift communities right yeah. and not just one individual and i think that that's so it's so impactful right and and so martine to go back to even to your question and and just thought in general is how do we empower these these sort of ambassadors right how do we empower these individuals to then come back and give back to their community as well right. for him to go to his school and talk to students that are 15, 16, 17, and 18, and tell them, this is what I did. You right. can do it. It's mm -hmm. far more impactful than me going there and saying, you can do it. As much as I might know the process, you listen to the people who you're like, yes, you've been there. You understand what, you it's, understand. what it's like to grow up here. And I think that we see a lot of a lot of times that that sort of role model um, power, right? When it, it comes you to- You know, that. Carlos, it, it, sad, it sads me because you, you look at like my situation growing up you know, I wasn't, you know, I had to kind of figure it out. And then you have, a, 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 you know, a situation like you have a parent like Elon that she has the resources and it's confusing for her, too. Mm -hmm. So it's it's so frustrating that they've created a situation where, you know, we're all kind of struggling with trying to figure out how to how to achieve success how to, how to pass standardized tests <laughs> that some people have significant advantages over. It's like, how do you navigate and what advice would you give parents and even adult learners? How, what kind of advice would you give us to cope with this kind of stuff to even feel like we're empowered to, to pass these tests? Like Ilan was saying, like she went, she's smart because she went back, but it was a struggle for her at 30. I mean, do, and there's a lot of people that don't have her drive that will say, I'm done. I can't do sure. it. I mean, she's a success story, right? But for every one of those success stories, we have so many people that fall off that ladder or, you know, don't have that drive. What kind of advice would you give? And, and well, I just want to add teachers that are encouraging because mm -hmm. I was going to bring up my son's situation and my situation. You know, you, you have some of the educators are like, well, I made it and I came from that background. And I actually found that with some of the minority people were even worse because they're like, well, how could you not do that? I didn't have that experience growing up in, 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 in as a teenager because I had a famous father, but I didn't realize at the time until I started having kids going to school because I was like, well, I can afford to send them at this time to private school. Why are you mistreating us? Why do my kids get to deserve that? You know, and I realized because it was the racial thing and because I, I went to school when there was no minority kids. It's just because I just had that background, not realizing it. I remember when I went back to school in my 30s, 
one of the professors gave me a grade that I was, I said, this is totally isn't right. I know for sure everything is wrong. And why did you give me that grade? And he made some nasty comment. And I said, at that time, I might've been like 33, 34. I said, I'm 34 years old. I don't have parents sending me here. I'm going to graduate with or without you. I took this class because I thought I would enjoy it, but you're purposely trying to keep me from graduating. I'm going to graduate because I'm, I came back to school by choice. My parents are not making me go to school. Now, this is when I didn't even have kids. I can't imagine what you're doing to these children because it's clear what your agenda is to try to hinder me, right? I end up experiencing that later on with my own child. So it's the educators like yourself who is so inspiring, want to help. You understand, you knew that you grew up with the, with not, I want to say privilege, but you had the mm -hmm. resources and parents, right? And you, you, you encourage this kid and he turned out to be a surgeon and he's going back and helping. We need more people like that because you have the ones that just educators that are like, oh, well, I made it. So, you know, you should be able to do what I figured it out. And then the, it gives those kids, they don't have hope. So that goes back to how our experiences are different and yours was harder, Martine, but it still was a struggle. And it's still, it was so much stress on me as a parent. You know, we still are trying to navigate and figure it out. So even though it may seem like mine was easier, it was <laughs> different, different challenges. Different. We challenges. need people like you for help. But as I'm saying, we need more Carlos to help because there's not there's a lot of people that are just selfish like that. And 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 I think also, you know, I, I would say I would say that it's it's sometimes it's it's the selfish component, but sometimes it's also what they needed to do to get to where they are. And when they get to that point, and, and this, this goes to one component I've seen with my students and that now is something I always mention from the very beginning is understanding that part of your responsibility in these educational experiences and journeys is to give back, mm -hmm. right? That, that is, you know, you have the privilege of being educated. And, and, and this goes, I think, across races, right? I don't, I don't think it's, it's necessarily only minorities. I think that the understanding that, that when you reach a certain level, when you are able to attend that, that undergraduate or graduate or whatever, part of your job during that education and after is to give back. Yes. And to understand that you might've been one of the people who did not make it. And because you did, you have that responsibility. I think instilling that from early on Right? And I see a lot of my, my families um, who, you know, kids are volunteering, you know, from an early age, they're, they're understanding that, you know, peer tutoring and like, oh, you know, giving music lessons. I have a lot of students who, who do that, which I think is the coolest thing, right? Those are skills that are instilled early on so that when you are at that level and now you're able to give back, it's just something you do. You understand that it's part of, it's part of, uh, your responsibility to your community and just as a society as whole as a whole, right? And also, I think the the other piece, Martin, just to get back even to to your comment as well, is is understanding that a your why is going to be different, right? So from an educator standpoint, um, one of the things that I tell my team, right, and also just conversations that I've had with um, a lot of brilliant educators within you know, my doctoral program, but just, and also outside of that is that you need to understand why you're doing this, right? You're not doing this because you want to go 
because you want to get a good score on the ACT or because you want to get into this particular education. If it is, then it becomes very difficult once that happens, if it happens, for you then to find motivation afterward, right? Understanding what your why is, really taking time to look into that and instilling that as part of your education in high school and middle school, et cetera, is really, really important. And I think the other uh, piece of this is is sort of the the persistence, right? This this is something that that I've been experiencing even recently, right? With with my applicants, not everybody says yes initially, right? When it comes to college, you get deferred, you get waitlisted. There are other there are other steps that go that go into it, and it's tough. It's emotionally taxing. I I, I cannot, you know, I'm a little bit more callous because I've gone through you know, at this point, probably 15 seasons worth of applications. So I, I, I've seen it all, right? I've seen it all. And well, I shouldn't say that because now it's <laughs> something different. But, you know, I, I've seen those 4.0s open that application and they're like, oh my God, I didn't get in. And you know, in the back of your head, it's probably because you didn't visit or because they don't think you're actually going to go here, right? And you actually were never going to go there either. Um, but that's a whole other, a whole other conversation. And so understanding that that the challenge in the path is different, right? And that with one rejection, right, or one acceptance, it's not over. And right. I think that that to me has been something that I've realized, you know, with with the test optional, with the applications, you know, with accommodations even, right? Like applying for to take a, a, a an exam and you have learning disabilities, you need to actually go and you know, take it, take it, yeah, get a, get accommodations, apply for accommodations, you know, go through appeal processes sometimes, mm-hmm. right? Um, even though, well, anyway, I don't really want to go down that path, but but it, it just, it's it's a whole process that can go, can last for years. Mm-hmm. And so trying to, to sort of teach that mental fortitude, right? That ability to take those punches and still be able to move forward. And I think that that, again, comes back to you understand why you're doing this, right? Why is it that you want to become that surgeon? Or why is it that you want to become that computer programmer? Because you want to X, Y, and Z. Um, And I think that the more we help facilitate that as educators, um, the more successful our students will be, but also the more impact they will have on future generations when the three of us are not here, right? What do you do if I say, and I think Elon was saying this, like she was saying her son, and I... There's a lot of people I know that, that have this issue, um, regardless of age. Is what advice would you give someone that says, "I'm just not a good standardized test taker. I'm a good writer. I, I, I excel in these areas. I just I feel like I don't know what to do because I know I have a 4.0 or I have a, I, I do well in school. I just I'm not a good standardized test taker. What what advice and how you prepare someone for this for so, a standardized test if you're not good at it? That's a that's a great question. I, I think. There's a couple things, right? One is understanding what your capacity is to prepare for them, right? I, I think that's that's where it starts, right? I, I don't think there's harm for you to take a practice test or to you know leaf through a booklet and get an idea of what it is. If I have some students who will go through the process, but with the understanding that it might not be something that you're going to embark upon, right? And that can have a significant effect on resources that you apply to it, right? Time that you apply to it, right? But if you're actually going to prep, you should devote the time, right? It doesn't necessarily mean you need tutoring. It could just be that you're very organized and you're using, you know, a test prep book or practice exams, et cetera. Um, but that you, you devote the appropriate time to it. 
And if after all that effort, right, and you look at that or the, the effort that you decided to devote to it, you're like, this doesn't work for me. That's okay. Right. Mm -hmm. If this was 15 years ago, 10 years ago, right, we would have a different conversation. But now most schools are test optional. So so you look and you say, all right, what are the skills that I have? What are the strengths that I bring to the table and how can I improve in those areas? I'm a great writer. Spectacular. What kind of um, you know internships and summer programs can you find out about in order to you know, increase those skills? Can you diversify the type of writing that you're embarking upon? Is there, you know, songwriting, screenwriting, right? There, there are so many other avenues. And, and I feel like that exposure early on and that initiative to find these different avenues to show the strengths to universities um, and also just the professional world um, can have so much more of a positive impact than stressing about whether one test defines you. I mean, and, and that's, that's kind of the, the, the irony of my situation, right? I, you know, help kids prepare for tests, but sometimes the kids that I help don't, right? They do other things. We, we, we work on college apps. We work on soft skills. You know, we work on uh, connecting them with different internship programs or different summer programs, because at the end of the day, if you really think that every single kid should take a standardized test, then you're feeding into a system that a lot of times for students just isn't. I mean, it's not fair. I, I don't even know. It, well, it, let me ask you this, Carlos. And Elon, you got, I know you got questions. I want to make sure you get those. I want to make sure you <laughs> ask because I know Elon's ready to go. She's, she, she's in the middle of this right now. So that's why she's got good questions for you. Um, this is a loaded question. And Elon, I know you probably thought about this too. Is Does it hurt? If it's optional, it's almost like when you apply for, a, 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 when you take a, a, a a, an exam or you apply for a job and they give you essay questions and there's one that's optional. Um, it's always been my experience. Is it really optional? Because right. I, I've learned if it's optional, I'm going to go ahead and do it. Exactly. So, so, so the question is if, if, if the UC say it's optional, it's, it's confusing to me again, because if I'm giving advice to somebody and they say fig, it's optional. I'm going to say, uh, you better take it anyway, because uh, how are we, is it, it, has it been your experience at universities? If it's optional, why even make it optional? If you're saying that it's not going to, it's not going to matter or weigh in, in whether someone gets accepted or not. It's like, it just doesn't make any sense to me because Bingo. if someone's take, if somebody has a 4.0 and they take the test and then, and then, um, and then this other student over here decide, has a 4.0 and decides not to take it. Are they going to give it to the person that decided to take that test? Yeah. And, and Martin, that is, that's the question you're never going to get a direct answer, right? <laughs> most, most, most admissions people will tell you that that's not the case. They, the conversations I've had, right? And I want to be very from because I think that, you know, admissions officers sometimes get a bad rep, right? They, they're, they're definitely the ones who are reading your application. They're advocating for you to the, to the group. And, you know, when you have a hundred thousand applications, uh, sometimes the smallest things can disqualify you. Right. And, and, and I would be naive to think that the situation of one kid has it and one kid doesn't, and everything else is identical. Would it maybe yield a positive result for, for test preparations? That, so, so I, I would. What I would say in this case is, what I've heard, um, in general, is 
you take the test and if the test complements your GPA, you include it. However, if you are a 5.0, you essentially are three steps away from inventing the next big thing. And testing just isn't like you're getting scores that are not at the level that it, that equates with your GPA, right? You're just not scoring in that percentile that you need to. It can actually be a disservice to send that score. But Carlos, how do you do that if, if when you apply, at least, on, uh, and Ilan, you know, when you're applying it as a teenager, they ask you what schools you want to apply for. Mm -hmm. And so it's automatically reported to them. So if I want to not, not anymore. Okay. So, so not, so is that, so they don't do that anymore. Then. So, so yeah, exactly. Okay. So that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. yeah that's a, that's okay. a really good point. So, so what ends up happening now is that you have control. Like I, I can speak for, wow. for example, Chicago public schools, they have a, a state um, requirement for SAT, right? So every kid in the Chicago public schools takes the SAT. However, you have to opt in for them to send that score. Right. And so and so you 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 have control. Right. A lot of my seniors don't send their scores until September or, or August of their senior year. Right. To the universities because they want to see how it all turns out. Right. So it's it's that's actually Martin, that's actually a really, really good point. Like now you have more control over your scores than you used to. So you're able to at least, you know, but again, what happens if you start too late? And you're taking the October test your senior year. You don't have time because you have a November 1st deadline. So that's, again, where runway becomes such a big factor. But if you start early enough, you have your numbers, you can then make those decisions and consult with your school counselor, sometimes even the reps of the schools themselves, especially um, a lot of universities have um, specific reps for diverse candidates. So you can ask, hey, listen, I'm first generation. I don't know. Is this a good score based on my GPA and score? And a lot of times they're able to direct you to resources. They won't obviously give you the answer, but they're able to direct you to resources. And and also, um, yeah, it just it just in general, it's, it's so difficult, right? Because you just don't know. So the best course of action and what I always tell any student um, or family that, that I'm working with or, or mentoring or whatever is that you need to make sure that you have your scores in time so you start mm -hmm. early enough and that you provide the scores to the schools where it complements so for example um elon not to not to use uh not to use uh yale as an example right mm -hmm. but like for example for yale if i don't have the test score for yale but i do have the test score to apply to my state school for example Right. I should send that test score to the state school with my GPA and then not send my test score to Yale and let them evaluate my GPA. Right. right. Because right. that you just don't want something to distract from the things that distract, you do. Right. Right. And, and that but that sort of choosing right is really important because from an yeah. admission standpoint, I don't want to be distracted. Right. I don't want to ask questions. I'm already asking a ton of questions. I'm already reading a ton of essays. I don't want to be looking and saying, hmm, that's a kind of low test score. You just don't want that even to be a factor in, in the in the decision. Now, a lot of schools will say, listen, we won't even look at it, right? Or we'll, or it's such a small piece, but you don't know and you get one shot, right? So a lot of times that that sort of decision um, for any elite school, period. Um, I think you, and, and that's where information also provided to you by your school, right? Which is where I think community centers, et cetera, need to be a, even a greater resource. Some schools provide you with the average ACT and SATs that that university has admitted the past three, four, five years. What if you don't have access to that data? Mm -hmm. 
And so, right, because the, the question that naturally comes from this is, okay, great, Carlos, this sounds so good. What's a good test score? One of the favorite questions that I get all yes. the time. <laughs> I was going to ask that. And, and you just say, it just depends. It depends where you're applying, what your GPA is, how that test score is distributed, right? Are you trying to be an engineer and your math is a 36, which is a perfect score on the ACT, or is your math, you know, really low? <laughs> so if you're applying to engineering school, you should just stick to your A's and your math and leave that test test score, you know, leave that test score of the equation, right? So that's where the guidance, and that's frankly where a lot of inequity comes from. Who, well, it's, it's speaking guidance. of inequity, I was yeah. going to ask, um, because my daughter's going in 10th grade, right? So, um, you know, just not only that, there, there's a two-part to this. Um, when you start meeting with the counselors, because that's coming up now, college prep, right? Um, the attitude, or because you're independent, a lot of these teachers won't necessarily tell you what you need or preparation because it's not only just the test scores, it's also taking the proper classes to get into the proper schools that you want to go. So a ninth grader may not know what schools they want to go to at that point, right? And if you decide by their 11th grade, you know, 12th grade, you want to go to an Ivy League school or you want to go to a state school, that will be the easier process of state school, as you just mentioned. But if you want to go to a Yale or a Harvard, how do you get in there if you don't have the right guidance because you didn't get the right classes because it's not just your GPA? And because my daughter's so academic, because of COVID, a lot of the kids kept getting sick. And my daughter got sick last year. And she didn't get COVID, but she kept getting really ill or whatever. Maybe we didn't know. Maybe it was, but we didn't know at that time. But I had to fight for my daughter to get into an honors class, right? It was an honors geometry. And this, teach, this teacher who was head of the math department was so angry when I walked in that she didn't acknowledge me. And she challenged me and I had to sign something. And I said, like, first of all, my husband went to Yale and he majored in economics. He's in finance. That's what he does. So I'm not a math person, but we have the resources. And she's always been a great math student and just give her the opportunity. But why are you keeping her from going into this math class? And her attitude was, well, well, my experience, this and this. So they had to do something called proofs, which my daughter is great at equations. It was very challenging for her. And she didn't, she was struggling. So for the first time, and my son always had to have a tutor. I had to get her a tutor. And we got my son's tutor, which my, the tutor loves her because she's such a different student. It's so refreshing than Trace. <laughs> and she's just like, it's such a joy, but she totally pulled the grade up to a B plus, but they want her not to take an honors class next year because it's a B plus, it's not an A, which to me, I'm like, okay, you know, I'll let you have a break for a year. But still, it's like they will sit there and decide how do the kids get the direction so they know they can get into these classes because it's not just the score, like you said, of the preparation. If they don't have, my daughter doesn't have a Carlos at the school, right? And one of the things I said, and I don't want to keep going back to race, but I said to this woman, she's a female who loves math, number one, let's just say that as a girl, right? And she's a minority girl who loves math. And most girls struggle in math. I don't care if you're a Martian. I don't care what color you are. It's just something, I don't know what it is. Girls don't tend to gravitate to the math part. So why don't we encourage her? So how can we get people like you to say, hey, you need to take this class if you want to go to 
uh, Ivy League school in the future? And what age does that start? Now, that doesn't mean that, that she's going to go that path, but just have that preparation, just like you're preparing your two and four year old right now to be able to walk in your shoes, how your parents set you up, right? How do I start that now? And she's going into 10th. And what advice would you give me? Because they just they just uh, uh, just released something that they're going to have some college prep. Do I start now or do I wait next year in 10th grade? And she just got something from Cambridge about doing this uh, um, summer program. But a family friend said put her in the Harvard summer program. It just looks good because it's not about your GPA anymore, right? It's not about her having a 4.0. Long story short, they tried to say to my daughter, well, we don't know how she's going to deal with high school. It may be too hard for her. And she's very nonchalant. So recently they had kind of an evaluation. They said, you know, we all were concerned because she doesn't really say anything in class. She just kind of minds her own business. And she's got straight A's, except the math class. She has a B. <laughs> right? And it's because only because it's math, it's like these proofs, right? Which is a little challenging for her. Um, and they were like, they had to eat their words because they were trying to discourage her from taking these honors class. She has a history honors and an English honors. Why? We don't need to do that. How do, what advice would you give me? Because right now I need that. Like I'm going into 10th. Do I start now? And what preparation do I need to take for advice? Uh, yeah. <clears throat> And other That's, parents uh, are going to want this too, because I, I have a 14 year old and believe me, the two and four year old is good. Everyone says this and I'd be like, yeah, yeah, it goes, it's like a lightning. That oh, man, it's, it's, it goes by so fast. You look up there 14 with an yeah. attitude. <laughs> no, no, I, I, uh, even, even my, my, my nieces being in grade school, it's, uh, time flies. Time oh, flies. It goes and so, fast. you know, I, I, I think a proofs are just tough. I mean, that's that's a very isolated, I mean, you don't get into them until later um, in calculus again. Um, oh, so really? at that point, you made the choice to go into advanced math, so that's on you. Um, but when you find them in geometry, um, you know, trying to, to find that side angle side and uh, proving, you know, that a triangle is a triangle and such, uh, that, uh, or the Pythagorean theorem, that those, they're just tough. It's, it's, a, it's a very tough uh, area and it's the first introduction to it. So, right. so many kids struggle there. Um, I think that when we're looking at the guidance when it comes to class choice, that that's actually a, a very um, very important, right? Very very, and and not extremely complicated, right? I, I don't think that it's it's a topic that is difficult to grasp, but if you don't know it, it's very difficult to fix. So if you, for example, for some of the schools that I work with, they now offer a combined algebra two and pre calculus um, class. Right? So you're taking two years of math in one in one year in a double period. Um, some a lot of them offer summer courses for algebra two, exactly because of that. Because sometimes, for example, let's say you get out of eighth grade and you just took algebra one, and then your students at, or your school says, "No, nope, you have to take algebra one again," your freshman year. For a lot of the elite schools and you know STEM professions, it's important to take calculus before you enter college and that becomes extremely difficult if you're a year behind and so you see some of those band-aids being made in certain schools right because a lot of schools don't do that so then you have to go look for programs that they'll accept essentially um to be able to jump a year ahead 
which is really the year you should have been in the first place. And, and I think from an education standpoint, it's tough because you don't want kids to struggle too much. Mm-hmm. But there is, you know, the idea that they should struggle a little bit, right? It should never just yeah. be you're breezing through because some of that sort of problem solving and critical thinking that comes with that struggle and reorganization and et cetera is essential for future knowledge, right? And future learning. And so I think that guidance should start early on. I think ninth, 10th grade, understanding that, hey, if you want to apply to some international programs, they're going to have a requirement of pre-calculus. So if you're, if you're thinking that your senior year, you're just going to take stats and as complicated as stats is, mm-hmm. um, at the high school level, it's a, probably very different than the, the, the one that, yeah, that, that, uh, that you, that you thoroughly enjoyed. Right. And I think that that, uh, stats. <laughs> I think it should be banned. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm taking, I'm taking some crazy stats classes. But she, so, but yeah. she's that kid though. Like she got a B in proofs, but academically, as far as yeah. like algebra, you, you two, have to, you have to advocate for them. Because, they saw that part. Yeah, because what well, the thing about this too is we're talking about two things, right? One is falling behind a year in terms of the class, but then you're also talking about rigor. Right, because it's regular versus honors versus AP versus OIB versus IB versus etc. Right, mm-hmm. so there are different levels of rigor. And when you look at universities, if you ask an admissions officer, "Hey, what are the things that you evaluate most?" Most of them will say, "Number one is your GPA, right, because that tells us how you're able to to perform a class." And two is rigor. So if you go and you take regular classes versus honors classes because you're like, "Ooh, it's an easy A." I've I've had this conversation so many times, and actually with a lot of my students who don't come from elite high schools, right? And they come from from more community high schools where maybe college isn't as much of a sort of given result. Um, a lot of times they'll say, hey, just take the A. But the problem is now with GPAs reflecting rigor, right? That's why you hear kids having a 5.2, right? And what they're doing is a right. Point, yeah, right, exactly. And Martin, yeah, that, that's, so basically the way that this works, right? I'm just going to speak in a very general term about it is that a 4.0 reflects um, a traditional like A, B, C with, you know, A being allotted the 4.0 or whatever, right? Um, when you start taking, and different schools do it different ways. That's why I just want to speak in general because some have 100 point scales as well, right? Like this is, what they do is they essentially will assign an extra 0.5 if it's an honors class. Or they'll assign an extra one point if it's an AP. So if you get an A and an AP, you might get a 5.0 as opposed to a 4.0, right? Okay. And then everything's getting average. So that's how you end up She's getting got a B. So that's not that's not a and, 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 right. And, and so sometimes they'll say, oh, getting a B and an AP is really just getting an A and a right. So so you start getting this this sort of and all this advice is sort of very subjective, right? Because you're like, well, maybe maybe not. It depends what class it is, how how you know whatever. But that that rigor right if you go and you get straight a's and you have a 4.0 that actually might not work to your favor if the kid you're competing against has a 4.5 and maybe has a couple b's but has taken all ap's and so planning from the beginning and with freshmen taking ap's right they take a ap human geo they might take um ap history they might take whatever other classes that the decision is getting pushed earlier my head's gonna explode, Carl. So you're I saying, <laughs> my head is gonna explode. No, so, but, but to, to, to sort of just big picture wise, it's yeah. the planning early on, and then also to to touch on another thing that you said, the summer programs, right? right. It's also that, that that becomes an issue as well, right? So, um, just off the top of my head, you, you start thinking of some summer programs that are extremely selective, right? You have, um, I think there's a 
uh, writing program in University of Iowa, if I remember correctly, that's one of the elite writing programs, right? Um, where it costs basically nothing, right? Or an engineering program at Michigan. I'm just thinking of, of ones that my students have gotten recently. Those are almost no cost because the bill is sponsored by someone else, right? Like someone else is picking up the tab. Those are the ones that are the most um, impactful when it comes to university admissions, at least here in the States. When you start to look at certain programs that have $12,000, $15,000, $20,000 price tags, sometimes, right, what happens there is your focus, if you're going to one of those programs, is more your networking than it is the actual academics. Right. Because you're trying to meet people there, right? And so your focus there should be different just because they know that it costs that much, right? So they, they, there's there's a lot of arguments of like, what makes a quality summer program? Should you be volunteering at your local um, food pantry? Should you mm -hmm. be, right? Are those things part of your summer planning as well? Maybe you mm -hmm. go to a summer program abroad to, to understand how to live, right, in a mm -hmm. dorm. And then you come back and you volunteer and you give back. The, that sort of summer planning so that students get a good balance is, is extremely important. But who tells you that? Right. Who tells you right. that? Like, who, who tells you like, oh, yeah, by the way, there's, you know, you want to do screenwriting. There's an amazing program, not only at USC, but also at NYU, you know, and right. it's only like two weeks and you should go do that. It's um, or let me add even another one. Amherst has a pre-college program for diverse candidates, right, who come from disadvantaged backgrounds. If I remember, I don't know if they have it anymore, but they definitely I've had a couple of students who have gone through it and who have gone to Amherst because of it. And those programs are key. They're feeders. Right. They literally are like, great. We want you to come here because you've succeeded at this program. How do you find out about that if I'm in Oakland? Right. But that could literally change the course of your college application. Right. Ooh. And so I, I think that um, the game starts early. Right. The game starts freshman, sophomore year. And uh, and by the time you you wake up and it's junior year, there's a lot more limited things you can do to build your resume to access some of the resources that, you know, and this goes for all socioeconomic levels. I'm not talking only, you know, if you, this is everybody, right? My students can come to me from all different backgrounds, right? And they can have all the resources in the world, but information is everything, right? Mm -hmm. If you do not know, and, and then you have to apply to those programs, you need to write letters um, or write uh, essays. And let's not even get to the fact that at junior year, you say, hey, make sure that this year you really take the time to talk to your teachers because you're going to need letters of recommendation next year. And if that person writes you a generic letter of recommendation, right? I'm already traumatized. I, I'm I sorry, am going We're going way I'm, too deep. We're, 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 we're not going anywhere because I'm going to need you. Because I, no. it's, my head is going to go like this. And I'm like, all that stuff you said to me. <laughs> Carlos, I, 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 I have to tell you, I, I mean... Your skill I'm like, set is unbelievable. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, I'm, I just, where, just, where was Carlos in my life? <laughs> right, right. It's, it, you know, what's what's crazy about it is a lot of this I've just, I've learned on the job, right, as I've grown. And, um, and it is interesting that, yeah, I have no access to this whatsoever when I was, you know, I remember my prep was my dad giving me an SAT book and being like, here you go. Good luck. Yep. I was like, I was like, like, yeah, and he, and he was like, make sure he's like, make sure you, you do what you got to do. And I was like, yes. Um, and, and then, so when the kids go to me, like, you don't know any better. Like, this is how it was in the old days. I said, excuse me, 
You know, when I was a kid, my grandparents had encyclopedias. Do you even know what that is? And there was a thing called a library because you had to go research and then spend your day there and do your papers. Like there was no such thing, push a button and get the information. And, you know, there's programs now that could teach you how to do some of the class. Like I've learned from my son, right? You know, he, he, he's taking these like uh, French classes and I'm like, well, how are you getting such good grades? He took Spanish for six years, can't speak anything, doesn't understand anything. <laughs> I understand Spanish better than him, but I realized that there were programs that he was able to pull up on the computer. So I said, you know what? See, you guys can get through because there's actually like, you guys can basically are cheating is what I think is going on. But my daughter's not that kid, but my son is. <laughs> hey, it's, it's op right? optimizing, optimizing his efforts. It's, 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 right, right. Yeah, he goes, oh, it's, it's, I'm not doing that. It just tells me how to do it. Well, we had to re we had to do the work. We actually, you know, we didn't have helmets. You know, we had to ride our bicycles, get our knees scratched, handlebars. So much more that we had to do. We were tougher kids, regardless of what they say about us. <laughs> You're a little bit young, Carlos, for that, but Martin I, knows I, what I'm talking about. <laughs> I mean, I, I think of uh, of sort of the inspirational stories that I've heard, not only from, so my, both my parents, when they came here, they only got their doctorates here in the States. They got all the rest of the schooling in, in Colombia. Um, but even my, my father and mother-in-laws, right? Like that that they, um, just even the stories, like my father-in-law took his, his ACT in a cafeteria while lunch was going on, right? Wow. So, so there, is, there is some of those, that skill set that goes outside of um, just the grit to be able to push through, right? And the skill sets that, that if you build those will get you far beyond one formula or one exam. Uh -huh. And so I think that, and, a lot of that is upbringing, but can we facilitate that as educators to help some students who maybe didn't get as much of those lessons instilled in them early on to help them succeed further um, because of it? So, I, I, you know, it's it's a very, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a complicated, right? Like how, how we did it in our day and, and now, and now you have, you know, you have AI, right? Writing essays, um, you know. Oh, really? See, I didn't know that. Yeah, big chat GPT. I mean, like it's it's uh, that was a big topic of conversation in a class. Oh, I had, I, had I took journalism. I wish I'd have known that. I had. Oh, I, 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 I don't. I don't. I, I don't know if you, my wrist. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know if you want the 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 robot the robot writing, but it's it's not it's not it's not great. But yeah, it's, but it's, hey, it's you know, and, and it's learning. It's one of those mm -hmm, things where mm -hmm. as as we move forward, it's I think curation of knowledge. Right. Expertise changes to say, hey, here are all the tools that you have. Here's how you apply them. So Car I, I think, yeah. Carlos, you've confused me because I said, uh, Ilan, bring this home. But then as we have these conversations, more stuff pops into it. I know. So, going on. so let me uh, I'll ask you this. Uh, we'll, ask, we'll get our few last questions and then we get to ask our fun questions at the end. Um, uh, I, I heard one common thing that, and I think Ilan talked about, she went to school later. And I think a lot of that goes to the resilience of her. Um, and so how do you train people? Like you said, if they don't get into the USC's or the Berkeley's, um, what can you impart upon people to like say, you know what, I might not have gotten to that school, but, or I, or, or, you know, I'm older than a traditional learner. Um, I'm not going to trip that I didn't get into the Yales. I ended up going to a community college or Sac State or whatever. 
how do you keep that fire going and getting the most they can of that education for that person? What what kind of tools or what do you advice would you give so so a person doesn't like feel less of themselves because they didn't necessarily get into a place because of like you said, there's so many factors I didn't realize that you that that you brought into it to play today. That's yeah. kind of scary because I didn't realize, like you said, you you really do have to prep. And there's people prepping. Now I've realized there's people that Elon's child's competing against that might have started prepping when they were, you know, eight or nine years old mm -hmm. from what you're saying. So, I mean, any advice you can give to people that would keep you that fire going to go to school, irregardless of or regardless of what program they're in? I think that um, when we when we consider school as a means to an end, right, and as much as being a lifelong learner is 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 essential, right? You again, it goes back to that why. You know, why are you doing this, right? Why are you in this program? Um, the the school that that you get into initially, right, especially now with so many careers requiring grad school professional certifications, et cetera. Um, it just, the goal is, is, is so important. Yes, the process is, is key, but where you're going is so important to, to identify early on, right? There's, um, we see this and, and Martin, this is something you and I have talked a lot about of the cost of education, right? And not only the cost in the immediacy, but the cost that can come from loans and et cetera in the future. And so it's so important to understand, okay, I really want to do this because I want to be that doctor or I really want to help people, you know, as a social worker, right? And that's my goal and that's what I want to do. How do I best equip myself to get into there? And also the idea that a lot of corporations, um, their training programs are basically college part two. So, so sometimes, you know, understanding that getting out there into the professional world um, can be as valuable or more valuable than, than doing that extra year or two of college that you might not be able to afford. So, so that's why I think working on that why and, and really being conscientious of just loading up education is not always the solution. Many times it's not. And, uh, and saying, hey, if I'm at this university doing this particular degree, and maybe it was my third choice, maybe it was my fourth choice, Right. I need to be the best that I can be at this because the skills, the habits, the, the things that are that are out beyond just the theory that you're learning in the classroom can be actually the most important things in the future. Right. I didn't go to school for business. Right. I didn't go to school for education. Um, and so but the skills that I that I gained, the, the ability to research things that I learned in college became immensely valuable when I started my own company, you know, a year out of, of university. So. So I do think that um, that sort of understanding that connecting those dots in the moment is very difficult, um, but you have to sort of make sure that you're portraying that, that spirit of excellence, right? Making sure that you're doing the best that you possibly can and then understanding what the goals are that you're going towards that should not be, I wanna get into this elite university. That is not a goal, that is a mean. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that if, if you approach it that way, that could be, to me, I mean, to the conversations I've had, can be a very motivating um, line of thinking. Mm -hmm. Well, my well, preparation that I think I'm doing, uh, you've enlightened me today, you know, because 
My, I started my daughter speaking Mandarin at an early age. I had her in viola. She doesn't, she hated that, but at least she had it. She, like, she had two years of viola. So I'm like, I'm trying to get her in swimming because she's a great swimmer. But I'm like, these are all the things that you need to get the kind of school you want. Because you don't want to be like the average kid who just has good grades, but you also, we have to find something for you to volunteer. But shoot, I don't know anything after talking to you today. <laughs> I'm like, my, my, my apologies. My apologies. No, no, no. It's, it's so enlightening because I, I don't, the resources, it's just, I don't, it's not the resources. I don't have the knowledge that I thought I had as far as, especially I didn't go to Ivy League school. So I need to know how to prepare her to get into those schools to, for that admissions part, you know? Um, and, and, and with my son, Going back to the testing, it was more of a processing thing for him. Like he's great at writing. He's good at math, you know, at certain areas. It was a switching for him. So if he's doing a test, and that's another thing, if he had to take, um, spent a certain amount of time on the English, and which is, I think it's great now that you can take just specific areas because that was a problem. It was from going from one step to the other, or if he's doing math, going to calculus, to algebra, to division. I mean, it was like those kind of things where it would get, um, you know, discombobulated. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, no. That wasn't his strong areas. It was the switching of different subjects. He's when he's he, when he's focused on that one thing, he's great. Um, so, and I have to tell him he's with so much tutoring with, you know, what you do is where he's able to be independent now. I don't have to say anything or ask him. He goes to school, he's doing well, but he's had so much tutoring, which for the first time I've had to get my daughter tutoring just in proofs because she's great when it comes to math. It's just that I get, this was a challenging part for her. Um, but just the process, like I, we have to have more conversations because I'm going to need help because I realize I don't know anything. <laughs> I want to thank you for, well, for letting me be a part of this, Martine, because it's yes. really helped. And he just happened to reach out and I'm like, okay. Elon, <laughs> she's such a happy person. What we, we text each other and I'll say, hey, I'm, I'm going to have this so-and-so on. She, I like to make that one fig or I like, I'll do that. <laughs> but, uh, and then, and now that she's got her own podcast, uh, we're going to, we're going to definitely have a part two with you, Carlos. And let me ask you this, definitely are. A, a couple, a couple, uh, rapid fires before we go. If there's one person that you could meet in your lifetime, it could be anybody. Who would it be? And what would you say? One person I can meet in my lifetime. You know, honestly, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, I don't think it's a cop-out answer, but I think it's, it's, it's a valid one. So I actually never really had the opportunity to meet my, uh, I met my grandfather when, when I was really young, but I think that, you know, his ba business background, right. My, my grandma was a teacher, right. And I kind of like, okay, got that, but I would love to have, have met, you know, some of the entrepreneurs in my family from earlier generations. I have a lot of it's cousins. Great and, but, but, you know, it's, it's, it's just very interesting to sort of learn more about where you come from. I think it makes you uh, extremely, you know, it empowers you to do more on that end. What would the older self say to the younger self in terms of advice? Okay, this is, this is very, very niche, but my, uh, my team will understand this. So there are these lists where they're like, hey, here are all the most common mistakes that entrepreneurs make. Um, be careful. I would have read that list when I was young because um, now I read it and I'm like, yep, that's 2011. That's 2012. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, that, 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 that would be, you know, the, the sort of 
but I guess at the same time as most uh, entrepreneurs, like unpredictability is kind of how we thrive as well. So yeah, that with, with a little bit of. Okay. So guilty pleasure food wise. I mean, man, I'm, I'm going to put myself as like classic Chicago. I mean, like deep dish is kind of, is kind of where my, my yeah, head's at. Did I say that of- a little, little bit, a little bit of Portillo's, and and a nod to uh, to uh, Key West, but some Key West uh, key lime pie. Yeah, oh, I love key lime pie, so good. CPK has the best key lime pie. Do you know that? Oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh do I? Oh, do I? Yeah. It's so good. I can't eat it anymore, but enjoy because I love it. And what do you want to be remembered for, Carl? This is always a, it's always I always end with this question because it's. It's probably one of the most significant questions that all of us have in our lifetime. I remember when I gave this Elon too. And what what would what do you want to be remembered for when you're no longer here? Honestly, I, I hope you know. I've I've thought about this a lot more once I had kids, right? And you start to think, you know, other than being successful in like your businesses or whatever else, like what do you really want to leave behind? And I think that for me is just greater accessibility to to education, right? And to educational knowledge. Right, because I think there's a lot of really powerful thinkers that that are innovating in so many different ways. Um, but from my standpoint, just making more of this uh, gate kept knowledge more accessible to to people like me and people like us, you know. And I think that if we do that, it's going to improve not only minority, you know, performance, but I think overall as a society. Um, yeah. So. And I'm going to put this question to both of you. Um, yeah, uh, Carlos, how do they get a hold of you uh, if they want to get a hold of your services and get in contact with you? What's the best way to do do that? And then Elon, Officer Carlos, um, obviously, I want to give your you got to give your podcast a, a little bit of shout out. And also, um, Elon does writing and she just does about everything. And so I want I want you to plug that as well. So, Carlos, how do they get a hold of you? Um, you know, honestly, my my email that I think we'll put in the in the description is definitely the the best way. Um, to track us down and uh, yeah and, and our website as well will be on there uh, the other projects I, I have are are sort of a work in progress so they'll be coming a little bit later this year but um, I'm Carlos, hoping that you, we'll have our part our part two Martin so we can, uh, we can, discuss. can you can you give your website your address sure, and your sure. email? it's, it's, it's BEC tutoring.com so just uh, pretty pretty simple I used to have uh, Becerra educational consulting.com and the I, I learned a little bit about uh, the use of uh, too many characters. On Do you have a, a business phone number as well? Uh, to be honest with you, email is, is probably the best. So okay. we, after COVID, went completely virtual right now that we have sort of national, international. Uh, so what's your, what's your email? What's your email? It's just Carlos. It's just Carlos at BECtutoring.com. Perfect. So perfect. My, my first name. Yep. Elon, you're next. <laughs> Well, it's my um, IG, which is always uh, how I respond instantly, is Elon Carter P on IG. And I have a company called Trace in London Entertainment because I manage my son. Um, really, the one, the one that I'm very active of is traceaustinmusic.com. So I will respond to that because I do a little bit of everything, even though that's more entertainment driven. It is you know, something that I'm active constantly because I'm on red carpets with him managing him. And I'm also now on Tempting Conversation Conversations featuring Dr. Marissa, which is an NBC 
uh, radio show and it comes on after the NBC um, morning show on uh, Sirius Radio. So I will be on Fridays and um, I'm going to have these two lovely gentlemen, which I so enjoyed today. You guys are going to be on my podcast too. <laughs> oh man. Okay. So we're going to continue this conversation. Yes, we are. And join us for the next podcast when we have un- more amazing guests and other hosts like Elon and amazing guests like Carlos. And we'll see you then. And thank you so much. In, in the meantime, keep learning and until next time.